Welcome to Well I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. And I can honestly say that every one of my guests has highlighted something new about the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life and what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis and when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. Looking back, I think we'd been in denial about what might be wrong with mum. We were worried, frightened and overwhelmed, so we buried our heads in the sand for far too long, a scenario which is sadly all too common. Now though, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about this cruel condition. It is cruel and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I know now that it is possible to live a decent, if changed life with dementia. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled and satisfying lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this too. My guest today knows the enormous power of music not only for those with dementia, but for children with autism, for women about to give birth and those who've just become mums, for adults with severe mental health conditions and youngsters with profound and multiple learning disabilities. A musician herself, she believes everyone is musical. We all have a heartbeat, so we all have a pulse and a sense of timing, she says. We all have our own style of movement, so we all have rhythm. We each have unique voices, so we create pitch and melodies, and our voices together create harmony. But more than that, we each have our own lifelong relationship with music, and it's that unique and personal relationship with music that tells people who we are. She is Grace Meadows, best known today for quite brilliantly spearheading the Music for Dementia campaign to make music an integral part of dementia care in the UK. The campaign launched in 2018 in response to a report that revealed that good quality music therapies are available in only 5% of care homes, at least 70% of whose residents have dementia. Today, Music for Dementia works with over 200 charities and organisations with the health and social care sector, the music industry and government departments. Grace lives up to her appropriately musical and elegant name. She's understated rather than showy, thoughtful rather than flamboyant, and highly successful at what she does. Since the campaign was launched, broadcaster and Desert Island Disc presenter Lauren Laverne has become its famous face as ambassador. It has created a musical map to connect those with dementia to local music-related events and services and it has launched Music for Dementia Radio to bring music directly into people's homes. To top it all off, late last year, the Hunter Foundation donated half a million pounds to the campaign, an incredible gift that was swiftly followed by the news that the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra were to record four notes, a piece composed and conducted by Paul Harvey, a man living with dementia, and half of all sale proceeds were to go to Music for Dementia. Grace herself is a media natural, as at home on the BBC Breakfast Sofa or Radio 4, as she is playing her contrabassoon. I frequently stop what I'm doing around the house to turn up the volume and listen to what she has to say. She's fluent, knowledgeable and passionate 
about the power of music to transform lives. So Grace, welcome to Well I Know Now. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it's really good. And actually, just sort of reading it out again, I thought I'm going to sort of toss aside what I was going to ask you first. And just, it's really interesting how you feel that we're all musical. I loved that. It was in a Guardian piece you wrote, I think. Anyway, I've certainly read that this thing about everybody's music and we have a heartbeat, so we have a sense of timing and a style and a rhythm and a, you know, just when did you sort of first begin to realise that? I'm not sure there was a moment per se, but it's certainly something that has sort of snowballed, I think, as I've become more and more wrapped around by music, really. And I've just had more and more encounters with people who have told me their stories about music. Mm. And they often start with, well, I, you know, I'm not very musical mm. or I don't really have a relationship with music. And, and then you see from from listening to them that they they do have a really profound relationship with music and it's Mm. often very deep it often goes back to their very early years and it's really profound and I think having worked as a music therapist with people with all sorts of conditions I've just observed over time that everybody does have this innate capacity to respond to music and be moved by it and to feel its benefits in one one way or another. Yes, because it's interesting that, you know, it's not just music and dementia, is it, in your life? You, you, I hadn't quite realised till I was researching you quite how wide your your experience is. So, so the, yes, that would give you that understanding, wouldn't it? And so can we now go back just a few years to your early childhood? Because interestingly, again, you said that your family weren't at all musical and yet you are obviously very musical yourself. Tell us about your childhood <laughs> and your early years. Well, we were a busy house, actually, because I'm I'm one of five. So we're each quite different characters. But music very quickly became my thing from lying underneath the Christmas tree, listening to Kylie Minogue on repeat on, you know, with my little tapes to singing in the, the church choir, which we did every week, two or three times on a Sunday mm. uh, to learning the recorder at school. Music suddenly just became synonymous with me. And it was it was certainly encouraged, although at times, you know, bringing home a violin and then a bassoon, you know, much to the horror of of my mum and dad, what are those things and what noises are you going to make? But it became my thing. My my younger sister did learn the clarinet for a while, but it was a passing interest Mm. really for her. And I think I was about 14, 15, I think, when I made the very serious commitment that I wanted to study hard enough to be able to go to music college after school. And so I really threw threw all my energies into that, really. Yes, you say your best friend got you playing the bassoon. Oh, she did. (laughs) She did. And and I thank her to this day, actually, because we have such wonderful memories of playing in the Coventry Youth Orchestra together. Mm. But I I remember going to her house uh, after school one day and she had started having bassoon lessons and she showed me how to put it together and I remember bouncing into school the next day and and going to our head of music Mr Howard who was a phenomenal teacher and encouraged us all to have a relationship with music in some form or another and I said oh I can play the bassoon and he laughed at me and he said I bet you can't even put it together (laughs) so I quickly assembled it and he said okay you can have lessons just for being able to put it together yeah yeah. I didn't realize they're quite tricky to put together are they (laughs) um so and it all started from there but actually I was thinking about this the other day and 
My first proper encounter with the bassoon was in Birmingham when I was about eight years old and we went on a school trip on a Sunday to see the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra play under Simon Rattle, Sir Simon Mm. Rattle, Mm. and it was Peter and the Wolf. I got invited up on stage to meet the grandfather character who was the bassoonist. Mm. So somewhere in my mind, I think the bassoon had been lingering and even further back was Fantasia because I remember that I was probably about four or five when I watched that and I remember the bassoon in Sorcerer's Apprentice and so I think it had been around and about but you know I'd not been exposed to it until I was what 12 or so. Mm. Those are two pieces you've mentioned aren't they that that are really good for introducing children to you know Peter and the Wolf I remember that Mm. Uh, really good for introducing children to orchestral music and all the different instruments of the orchestra I think. And The Sorcerer's Absolutely. Apprentice. Mm. And if anybody's listening and they're sort of wondering about how to introduce that children, those two pieces are really great. And then you went to the Guildhall of Music in London. So this shows you know, what a serious musician you were becoming by then. And you said very sort of intriguingly, and I don't know what it is, that you had a very funny story to tell. Or a wonderful story. I don't know if it's funny, actually, but a good story. Oh. <laughs> well, I was very fortunate in that when I was learning the bassoon as a teenager, my mum had a very good friend. Sorry, Grace, I'm going to interrupt you there and we'll re-record this, but that's my dog scratching at the door. I'm going to let Bert in. Sorry, I'll keep the thing running. But no, just sorry. Right. Oh, I knew he'd do this. Oh. I like his name. <laughs> Bert and Reggie, they are. God, monsters. Oh, wonderful names. <laughs> Right, sorry. So just going into your wonderful story. Sorry, Grace. So Bert settling himself down on his blanket. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Ready to listen um, to you. <laughs> so I was really fortunate in that my mum had a very good friend whose father had been the contrabassoonist for the Royal Opera House. And when I was a teenager learning the bassoon, he learned that I was passionate about the bassoon. And so he helped me choose my first bassoon that my mum bought me and was a a supporter if you like a a bit of a mentor from the wings and you know I talked to him about going to music college and a a wonderful character just amazing and his his musical stories were just I could Mm. have listened to them for hours and when I was at music college I'd done a little bit of contrabassoon playing but not very much and when I was at music college he said look at you know I'm I'm losing my hearing I'm not playing very much anymore and I really want my contrabassoon used. So he said, please take it, enjoy it, make music with it and make people happy with it. And so sure enough, I I started playing it. I absolutely love playing the contrabassoon. There's just something about turning up to an orchestral rehearsal as a fairly petite woman mm, with this mm. huge instrument and being mm. able to make enormous sounds. It's wonderful. And so he 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 said, look, I'll, I'll loan it to you. And I kept thinking, oh, he's going to ask for it back. He's going to ask for it back. And concert after concert, I, I still played it. Mm. And then before lockdown, so it would have been 2019, I, I was doing a concert at the South Bank Centre. And he came to watch because he often, I often let him know that I'm doing a concert. And if he's available, he'll come and listen. And he came to this concert at the South Bank Centre. And I went and saw him in the interval. And I was with my husband, Luke. And... In the middle of this concert <laughs> at the South Bank Centre, he said, this isn't a discussion, but it's now yours. The instrument oh, is yours. Gosh. It's yours. And I don't want any more said about it. I, I've watched you play it and I see how much you love it. And lots of people helped me in my life to be a musician. And this is me just giving back to the universe, if you like. So play it, love it, make music with it and enjoy it. So... 
I have deep affection for that instrument and for Fritz because it's such a gift. It's an extraordinary gift, so much so that I recently played with the World Doctors Orchestra. So I got to be an imposter doctor um, <laughs> a few weeks ago and we did a concert at the Barbican Centre, which was just extraordinary. And it was one of the best musical experiences I've had in a very, very long time. And primarily because of the people, actually, mm. that were playing. Mm. Such kind-spirited, clearly generous people given the professions that they come from you know we had mm. doctors from all walks of the health and social care professions from psychiatrists to neurologists to cardiologists you know I felt very safe hands playing on stage <laughs> with all these, all, these back, amazing, yeah. <laughs> all these amazing doctors and it just it really brought home to me why music is so powerful mm. because it's all about relationships mm. it's all about people mm. it's all about what it means to connect mm. and you know I'd never met any of those people before mm. uh, you know the wonderful thing about that orchestra is that it's a unique combination every time the orchestra gathers from doctors all around the world and we hadn't played as an ensemble together and within five days from not having ever rehearsed together we were on stage in the Barbican to a pretty much packed audience which was just extraordinary but I, I know that the, you know there's a couple of friendships that I've made as a result of that experience that I will treasure very dearly now and that is what music does it connects us doesn't it it helps us be in the here and Absolutely. now together Absolutely. and it always I always find it extraordinary the way that orchestras come together and in a space of days having never met each other before can suddenly produce this sound together and as you rightly say, it is, it's a team, isn't it? And then these bonds are forged. It's, it's just um, very special and very special of you to have, what was his name? Fritz then, your mentor. Yes, Fritz, yes. You're fantastic. Yeah. He's an older man than you, obviously, is he? So now he's sort of passing on perhaps to another generation, his, his wonderful yes, instrument. Yes, yes. He and, you know, I think music has been what's made him so vibrant and dynamic mm. I, I believe he's in his 90s wow um, okay. and he you know he's swimming several times a week and he has an allotment he has a, a really rich and wholesome life if you like and he really appreciates the small things and his wife had dementia actually oh, right so he he knew firsthand just how as you said in the in the opening that it can be a very cruel disease mm. but Again, music was absolutely central to helping her manage the mm, condition. Mm, mm, mm. You know, when he played, when they went to concerts together, when they would listen to music at home together, she wasn't musical herself, but mm. she loved listening to Fritz play. And so mm. having that connection with her through music was mm. incredibly powerful for both her and him. I mean, music is definitely a universal language. There's no doubt about that. And it's almost becoming recognised, as if it's becoming recognised now, that it's not just universal, but it is never-ending. You know, it's infinite. And no matter how severe whatever condition it is you have, whether it's, you know, learning disabilities or autism or, or dementia, it seems to surpass that as well. It just seems to be so deep within us, doesn't it? It's almost like it's in our DNA it's extraordinary. And of course, there are neurological reasons, aren't there? Yes. I mean, there's some fascinating science and I, I, you know, I'm certainly no expert in that. But, you know, what we know, particularly in child development, for example, is that those neural pathways that get laid down really early on through music are some of the deepest and strongest. Mm. So if there is damage to the brain later on, then those are the pathways that are least likely to be affected. Mm. And, you know, we know with dementia, for example, that because we process music, 
across the whole brain and not just mm, in one exactly. region. Mm, mm. It means that, you know, as the condition takes hold and more of the brain is becoming affected, there are still areas of the brain that's able to respond. And then you intertwine that with our different types of memory and our mm. ability to recall. And, and of course, we don't just process music in our minds, mm. you know, neurologically, we process it in our bodies, mm, we process mm. it emotionally, we process it socially. So mm. we feel it, it literally runs through us. When you do have a condition such as dementia, it does mean that there's multiple ways in which you are able to receive those sounds and process them and then and then respond to them. Absolutely. I heard it was Oliver Sacks, wasn't it? The late Oliver Sacks who said it's a bit like a tip of the tongue moment, which I thought was a really good way of putting it because it does affect all these different parts of us, both mm. within the brain and through the body. It's like when people fire lots of different names and one of them will catch, one of them will sort of hit home and you'll remember the name and it's a bit like that. And one of these many facets will, will sort of hit home with the person with dementia or the person with learning difficulties or autism. And, and mm. that's why. And also I heard um, Evelyn Glennie talking about the way, uh, Evelyn Glennie is a profoundly deaf percussionist isn't she and mm. incredible to think what a wonderful musician she is when she is profoundly deaf and she was saying that she hears it through her body mm, um, absolutely and it's interesting what you said again going right back to the intro and that quote I have from you I suppose it is the first thing we hear is that mother's heartbeat we just begin with a rhythm we do we do absolutely and and then we carry it through ourselves and it was fascinating actually the concert that I've told you about at the Barbican Evelyn was playing she was our soloist and she was just utterly sublime really 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 extraordinary her musicality just exudes and she's also one of the the nicest people you could possibly meet she made so much time to mm. to speak to every member of the orchestra and mm. and give and give them real listening quality listening time and you know it was just a very wonderful experience being in her presence and making and making music with her and the response of the orchestra to a musician of that caliber mm. you know made us up our game that's yeah. for sure yeah yes. Yes. <laughs> but you know and and rhythm really you know the piece that she was playing solo for was extraordinarily rhythmic and incredibly complex but she made it look effortless but mm. we do we have that rhythm within us and we perhaps flatten it somewhat in the west you know if you think to other cultures mm. around the world where actually rhythm is so much more a central part of their lives and music is for that matter and we've sort of flattened if you like the way we think about music and it's not as central to our lives in terms of health and well-being as it could mm. be. And I think that's where this bit of work that we're doing with UK music uh, and the music industry is really exciting because it's really about how do we, as we rehabilitate and recover from COVID, use this as an opportunity to do things differently with music to support health and well-being, naturally for people living with dementia, but also across the lifespan, really. What piece of work is this, Grace? So um, back in April, Music for Dementia and UK Music came together in a partnership to look at how we use music to help us recover and rehabilitate from COVID uh -huh. and think okay. about how we can position more music more centrally in our lives to support our health and well-being because there is such a persuasive evidence base for music helping to support health and well-being and that whilst there's no doubt around the economic value that music brings to this country and you know its status internationally as a, a leader for musical exports and, and the culture that we have here we are not playing to its strengths in terms of what we could be doing with it 
to support the health and well-being of individuals and communities in our society overall. So we came together in April and we hosted a virtual meeting online, which Caroline Dinage and Nadine Dorries attended. The ministers. Yes, the the ministers. ministers. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And lots of people from across various sectors, the health sector, social care sector, the music industry. And we came together to say, look, what can we do collectively? What can we do better with music as we recover and rehabilitate? We know that, for example, singing is being used Mm. significantly with people with long COVID to support lung health and the recovery of breath. But what more can we be doing? We've got a country that's traumatised, that's exhausted, and yet the world turned to music Mm. during the pandemic, you know, from people singing from you know, on balconies, out, you know, playing outside care homes to online performances. You know, we literally turn to music to help us manage the daily stresses of living with COVID and lockdown. And so really what we've done in partnership with UK Music is try and create a conversation around what can we do more and better with music. And we had an online survey over the summer to ask people to tell us what more they felt was needed Mm. around music in the UK. And then we had a workshop of some key stakeholders in September. And we're about to hold another workshop with some more stakeholders. And then we'll be producing a report which we'll present to government and the health and social care sectors and the music industry to and put some recommendations forward. Okay, so are they thinking of putting something in law then to legislate for it or what? I don't know if it's going to go into law, but I I think there's certainly a a collective wish to do more with music to Mm. support health and well-being, particularly for people living with dementia, but also across the lifespan, because we know music is so good for us Mm. and we're not utilising it anywhere near as much as we could be. Because it has in recent years become part of the nice recommendations. It is now within the social prescribing menu, isn't it, as a leading therapy to help people with dementia and other... Absolutely, yes. And that was a a very early campaign win for Mm. us. NICE is part of the commission that you referenced, the Utley Foundation, which backs Music for Dementia, commissioned in 2017. And NICE was part of that conversation. And then it was... uh, NICE is the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, isn't it? Just in case people are... Absolutely. Acronyms in the social care (laughs) and NHS do my head in. And people always bandy them about, don't they, with gay abandon, as if everybody knows what they mean. We're talking about something nice, you know, I mean... mm. Indeed. And so that was quite an early, early win for us in for the campaign and in, in seeing that, you know, music mm. therapy particularly mm. be referenced in their in their guidelines. And then to see James Sanderson and his wonderful team at, at the National Academy of Social Prescribing really run with music in the way that they have and the support that they've given has been brilliant because mm. they certainly appreciate it's the, given the, the recognition music. hasn't it the sort of um, yeah. the, 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 a bit of bottom as they say you know it's given it a bit of, sort of gravitas I think it definitely mm. boosted it absolutely and and you know yourself that you know once you've seen heard and felt the power of music you can't unseen you can't unfeel no you can't, you can't. there are some in fact we're going to come on to that now because I'd like to go on to what you actually do I mean you've had some fantastic roles as a music therapist and as I said in the intro you've worked in a range of different sort of health and educational care care settings Chelsea and Westminster Hospital with Dr Claire Flower and that was the antenatal and maternity services and various things but then you you went to music for dementia and I must say as I said I think you know that you really absolutely put them on the map sort of very quickly in the way these things work sometimes it can take years and decades to get somebody you know an organization recognized so that that's brilliant 
One thing that really I loved when I was looking at music for dementia, because what you do really is you bring together, so you've got 250 organisations, and some of them really sprang out at me. And on your website, you've got this fantastic piece about doing dementia differently. It's an organisation, and it has an intergenerational choir, and it... I think it's an initiative that's come from Educate, yet yet more acronyms, but that's really sort of Dementia Users Cooperative that work with schools, hence it's intergenerational. Mm. And the Stockport Dementia Group are involved with this. So tell us a bit about them and their fantastic rendering. Really funny, actually, very witty and clever and fantastic for everybody involved. This sound of music thing. Well, they're a fantastic organisation and what they're doing is working across generations because, as as you said, dementia affects everybody and often it's very difficult to have conversations about it, particularly with younger people. How do do we talk to granny or granddad who've got dementia? Why do they keep asking me that question? You know, what's going on? And, And so being able to help support people to have conversations around dementia is really important at any age. And that's why their work's really exciting. And, you know, they've got humour in there, which... Mm, A lot of humour. ...is so important. You know, we can be very serious and Mm. actually we need more lightness. I uh, think so. I I really agree with that. (laughs) I think it can be a bit serious. And obviously dementia is a a sort of dark subject in a way or can be you know and this is why there's the stigma and people shy away from it and I think it's wonderful when people like you know I've just had Wendy Mitchell on my podcast and Mm. you know she has a great humor doesn't she She talks about her playmates and she trundles around the village and just her use of the vocabulary is really it lightens it all and actually of course she's got to work really hard to Mm. have what seems like a you know, a good life, taking photographs and things. So it was called The Unforgettable Sound of Music, wasn't it? And we're going to hear a clip of when they're... What they've done is, with apologies to sort of Julie Andrews, they've rewritten the lyrics. And so we've got, you know, how do you solve a problem like dementia? And then there's quite a funny um, exchange between the doctor. I mean, it's quite serious messages as well about the doctor who's coming and wants to impose all these things on the young nun with dementia and she's just waiting in an empty room for the diagnosis but actually she's got her own thoughts on the subject and so let's just listen to and is that and this is who is it singing all this grace do you know exactly i mean there are people with i think they're mainly all people with dementia aren't they or who, who are they singing yes, I, th- I think so and that there'll be no doubt carers singing with them too Yes, because one of the successes of the choir, I think, was put down to the fact that it is this mixture, it's collaborative, and it has Mm. experts by experience, who, of course, are the very people with dementia themselves, and then volunteers who, I think, get some training, and and, and then the really Mm. serious professional and clinical support as well. Yeah, and and we know, actually, that the most successful music projects or programmes are the ones that are co-produced that are done in partnership it's really very much about being with and not doing too with music and so when you see these kind of projects or hear these kind of projects in action and they've got that wonderful collaboration going on you know that there's real strength there and because there's that buy-in from everyone around the people living with dementia yeah so let's hear a clip now of the unforgettable sound of music Uh, there's about sort of eight or ten people living with dementia men and women dressed in very authentic-looking nuns' habits, having, obviously, a fabulous time as they sing How Do We Solve a Problem Like Dementia?
yeah, so that was really, really brilliant, wasn't it? And they do other other things because in lockdown they came together on Zoom and um, as Wendy Mitchell was saying to me, you know, a lot of people with dementia were using Zoom a long time before the rest of us were because of COVID. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it was staggering really, wasn't it, to see the creativity that came about when we were, we were forced to think about doing things differently. Mm. And I think that's really what we're trying to say with this work with UK Music is that we've got this opportunity right now to do things differently. And, I, you know, it's inspiring. And I think at times possibly overwhelming how much was actually available for people to do online. You know, yes. you could do anything, any hour of the day with people from literally all over the world from, you know, your own home. Yes, this is bringing the world together. This sort of shrinking, in a way, of the globe was incredible, wasn't it? I, I saw a piece where the choir came together on Zoom and there were about sort of eight or ten of them. And one mm. man with dementia was singing... Um, I think he had dementia, actually, and he was singing I Love It. It's the Simon and Garfunkel song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Mm. And then also on the Zoom call, they watched a performance they had done earlier in real life, pre-COVID, and that was really beautiful. It was with the children from Stockport mm. um, School, I think it is, isn't it? And yeah. they were singing Moon River. And that was just beautiful, actually. And uh, you could see the people on Zoom watching this and becoming quite emotional again. And once again, it, it illustrated this great power of, of music to connect. Absolutely. And Music for Dementia was able to support, actually, the Alzheimer's Society last year in helping them to expand their online Singing for the Brain offer. Because what they had found with that programme was that they had more take-up of people doing Singing for the Brain because they had this alternative option. And for mm. a lot of people, sometimes going to an in-person group or uh, event is too much. Yes. And, you know, they, they might have, you know, lost confidence or, you know, the idea of being in a room with other people might feel quite intimidating. They've got to travel there as well, haven't they? They've got to travel. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we were hearing from the Alzheimer's Society was actually that having an online offer was really helpful because primarily for the carers they were able to leave their their loved one having stimulation and engagement with people at home and they were then able to go and make that emergency call that needed to happen or they were able to have a cup of tea or they were mm, able to go mm. to the bathroom in peace for five minutes you know it was as much a benefit to the carer as it was the person living with dementia to be able to do things online. And I think what's really encouraging as we come out of COVID is that there's going to be a blended offer going forward. I think there are going to be very few organisations that don't have options in terms of how people access their services. Yes, that is going to be one of the silver linings, isn't it, I think, the, the tremendous mm. amount we've learned about that. And then the other enormous thing that's been just phenomenal, actually, in so many ways is Paul and Nick Harvey's contribution to all this. Now, for people who don't know, would you like to explain, Grace, because you're probably in a very good position. I mean, I've followed it closely. It's just such a wonderful story. I'm sure many people know about it. But you you tell us about what happened with, uh, with Nick's tweet originally, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So Nick is a, a musician himself, and he's the son of, of Paul Harvey, who is the most wonderful man, actually, and, and, and musician and composer and you know he's very talented I think Nick had, had put something on social media several years ago about the work that his father did as a teacher called Where's the Sunshine which that was, is that just... was June 2019 actually it wasn't that long ago it's extraordinary no it feels like a long and, time and Paul, ago doesn't Paul it? has dementia just for people yeah who yes. don't know this story 
Yes. And then last year, during World Alzheimer's Month, that Paul was having a very difficult time, actually. And Nick was with his dad. And he remembered an old party trick that Paul used to do, where he would ask people for four notes, and he would then improvise on the spot an incredible piece of music. And sure enough, he wasn't having a great day, actually, the day that, that it happened. And Nick was sort of searching his mind as to what can I do to help dad? What can we do here? And he remembered the party trick. Mm. And he gave his dad four notes. And he asked his dad to improvise a piece of music. And, and sure enough, we were blessed with four notes, the the, the piece that has gone viral around incredible. the world. Absolutely and incredible. it just stole our hearts. Well, yes. it certainly stole mine anyway. <laughs> I think it did, it, it did everybody, didn't it? I mean, he was on, um, well, all over the place, as you say. I mean, he was all over the televisions, all over the world. Yeah. But on Breakfast yeah. Time with uh, Susanna Reid and Piers Morgan, I think uh, think it was Piers, wasn't it, in his sort of inimitable fashion? It might have been Susanna, who gave Paul another four notes. Mm. And, and he managed yes. to do to do that as, as well. You know, it really wasn't. You could see these quite hard-nosed journalists getting quite emotional about it. It really was extraordinary. Absolutely. And then the BBC said that they would like him to conduct this piece with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. Yes. So, I mean, so much has happened. It's been such an incredible journey. And in fact, I was thinking, Pippa, that it's exactly to the day a year ago that we were surprised live on BBC Breakfast. What was it? Today? Yeah. Well, I think it was the second, but it was the Monday morning. And I remember talking to to the producer on the Sunday evening and she said, look, I, I really just can't tell you, I, you know, my boss is sitting across from me and I am not allowed to say a word to you about what's going to happen tomorrow morning, but you're going to be so grateful about what happens. And I was like, yeah, but I'm terrified. I don't know what you, I don't know what I'm saying. And you were being say. asked to be on the television. Yes, down the laptop screen, if you like. And, um, and I, I just thought, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, just do that thing. Talk about music and dementia like you do. Yes, so <laughs> <And> well. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. Um, but you knew you know, something was going to sort of pop I up. Had, you knew something was going to... Yeah. I, I knew something might happen, but I had no idea what was coming. They said, it's just really important that you listen mm. to the piece before we cut to you. Mm. And, you know, the black screen comes up. And, and, of course, I couldn't see what everybody else watching BBC Breakfast could see because I could only see the black screen. I could just hear the audio. Mm. And so I had no idea, actually, that as I was listening, they had cut to me <laughs> and right. they could see me burst into tears. <laughs> because t- t- tell everybody as, what as, you were told. Because sure enough, in this piece, Sir Tom and Lady Marion Hunter announced that they were donating a million pounds to Paul and Nick's two charities, which were the Alzheimer's Society and Music for Dementia. So half a million pounds came to us. Mm-hmm. On a Monday morning. <laughs> yes, just <laughs> an ordinary just, Monday morning. Just an ordinary Monday morning. And there we were with Dan and Louise. And yes, the most extraordinary and incredible surprise. It is a good piece of television, for, actually. <laughs> I can see why they didn't want to tell you because your face is just a picture. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even say, have the tissues ready. <laughs> but you just look shocked, actually. Yeah. You, know, you sort of uh, freeze, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, did I make that up? Did I really, did mm, I really hear that? I can that? imagine it's a lot of money to get in one one off hit like that. Yeah, I just remember at the time my mind was racing. I think I even said something like, you know, I, I can already feel my mind racing about how we can use this money. How you distribute it and where you distribute it. Yeah, lives. absolutely. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do this year was think, well, you know, 
Four Notes has been extraordinary and we're now supporting 31 organisations across the UK, which is wonderful. And, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that. You without, asked for bids, without, didn't you, as it were, for people to pitch yeah, to you, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think it took six months from donation mm. to, to dissemination. We were able to get all of that money, all of that half a million pounds out the door. So we didn't we didn't hang on to any of it. What we did was we used our grant making expertise mm. with my colleague Lizzie and we got all that money out of the door for organisations. And then as a result of that, the National Academy of Social Prescribing was so impressed in terms of how we'd been able to put money into the music and dementia ecosystem mm. that they then gave us a further £100,000 to support more organisations, which was just, yeah, incredible, absolutely. Mm. And I still find myself sort of in Mm. disbelief at it all, really. Mm. And what we wanted to do then this year for World Alzheimer's Month was create something really special for Paul to say thank you, really, Mm. because he'd given everybody so much joy with his music. We felt that it was time to, to give him a, a gift really and he'd he'd said how much he would wanted to conduct a professional orchestra so Paddy O'Connell had done that mm. incredible piece of work last year in terms of getting the BBC Philharmonic to mm. orchestrate and, and it was Dan Wibley the bass player who orchestrated it and it was Paddy's conversations with the BBC Philharmonic that meant that we were able to go to Simon and his wonderful team at the Philharmonic and say do you think you'd be up for this? So that's Simon Webb, the director of the BBC Philharmonic. We weren't sure whether they'd do it or not, but we said, look, could we bring Paul up to Manchester and could we get him conducting the orchestra playing four notes and could we also do it so that he gets to play four notes with the orchestra? And they said, of course, this is why our orchestra exists, to make magic like this happen. So we had the most incredible time with Paul and his three sons. Nick was there, but also Simon and Tom. And we just had the most magical few days. It was nonstop, a real roller coaster of a couple of days with, you know, all sorts of wonderful emotions. And really, it was something I will never, ever, 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 ever forget because it was just so powerful. Literally, we were all in tears watching Paul up mm, on the yeah. conductor's podium. Being Paul, the conductor, Paul, the musician, he was not Paul with dementia. He was Paul, you know, and his musicality was just shining through. And I think Nick even said himself, you know, he was looking at his dad and it was like taking 20 years off him. Yeah. I think now is a very good time to hear Paul Harvey's composition, Four Notes, played by the BBC Philharmonic and conducted by the composer. for lots of people they'll think oh I, you know I've barely ever been to a classical music concert let alone picked up an instrument oh I'm not sure that music works for me in that way it's not about that that is what works for Paul it's really about that personalized music message you know it can be something as simple as ensuring that you hear your favorite song first thing in the morning 
or it can be about making sure you have an opportunity to sing during your week. It's really about that that personal experience of music. And, and for Paul, it was being able to conduct one of our brilliant orchestras that we have in this country. And then we got to be on BBC Breakfast actually in person this time together, which was just wonderful. And you could really see how proud his sons yeah. are of mm. him. And what people probably don't know is how hard his sons work to look after him. As anybody listening to this will know, mm. caring is exhausting mm. and it can be very rewarding, but it can be very burdensome mm. too. And actually, because I had the wonderful, wonderful privilege of being able to spend time with him, I could see just how much those three boys do for him. And mm. that is the life of a carer, isn't it? You you have your highs and then absolutely. you have no, the, the absolutely. everyday no, to the point that we were hoping to get Nick and Paul on with us, weren't we? And actually, almost with the success comes another level of exhaustion, doesn't it? So I think they're just taking yes, a little bit of time yeah. out right now, which is completely and, understandable. And, and COVID has, has been through their families and so they're living it like everybody else. But I still find myself quite speechless about it. And I was watching the video back the other day from the recording of Paul conducting. And it just, it comes over you like a wave, this emotion. Not, I mean, not only the music, the music's fabulous, but it's almost like the music's a bit of a bonus. What I get really emotional about is the people and the relationships and what music does for those relationships and how it connects those people together. And and I see that every day. And I was fortunate enough to go and see one of our grantees, the Manchester Camerata, doing their wonderful work at the Gorton Monastery in Greater Manchester. And it is exquisite, the work that they do. It's really, really special work. So you're in this magnificent surrounding of the monastery, which has been brought back to life in the most extraordinary way. And this is which monastery, Grace? Gorton? This is Gorton Monastery, yes. And it's home for the Manchester Camerata. Mm, and mm. you have this beautiful space and it's set up like a group uh, like a circle, I should say, for a group. And you have several musicians from the orchestra, plus one of the musicians who's a trained music therapist. And people come in and they have a cup of tea and they have a biscuit or a, a bit of cake. And they come and they take part in this music group. And people, it's people from the community, people from care settings. And it's all improvised music. So it's all the music therapist and the musicians watching, listening, waiting and feeling that the sounds that are coming through from the participants in the group. And out of that comes this just brilliant music, uniting people. And I watched people get up and dance together. We were fortunate enough to have two MPs at the session I went to, Kate Greed and, and Afsal Khan. And... You know, they were just in the moment with these mm. people. Mm. And, the, you know, Kate was up dancing, playing maracas with one lady and Asa was playing drums with another person. And just watching this music bring everyone together and unite people. There were very few words spoken, actually, mm. in that session. It was the music did the talking. It was that. It was seeing that that made you want to become a music therapist. You went to just such a an organisation, didn't you? And you saw a lady with sparkling eyes and both mm. of you got up and danced. And it was at that moment that you thought, because of the huge power, I want to do this. I trained as a, as a musician at Guildhall and I just felt there was a bit missing for me. So performance isn't for everybody. And whilst I, I do enjoy it now very much, because it is a special thing to be able to play as part of an orchestra and for people, I just thought, I feel like, there needs to be another half of the circle here. And I started to wonder about, is there such a thing as music therapy? Because I'd heard of drama therapy. 
And I did some investigations and I did some introductory courses. And to get some experience, I shadowed a music therapist who was working in a, a day setting in Hackney. And it was really, it was, it was the moment when I said, this is what I want to do with music. And I watched this fantastic music therapist just bring the, the room to life with her music that she had created in response and with those people in that room. And what I was so struck by was how we had different people in that room and their dementia was presenting in different ways. We had quiet people. We had, you know, uh, mm. another mm. person who was singing spiritual songs. Mm. One person was was nodding off. So, you know, it was a very disparate and disjointed group if you like yes it's normally very difficult isn't it if you think of it mm. in a classroom with children or whatever that's what teachers say is this it's very difficult yeah. to deal with the disparity of people exactly and and I was thinking how is this going to come together but sure enough the, the music therapist was joining in with the spiritual songs and she was picking up on the sounds and the gestures and the and the body language from from the other people in the group and suddenly they literally were sort of coming to life in the here and now those vacant gazes you know, really transformed into laser sharp eye contact. And they, and they began to say hello to each other. They were literally recognising each other. They were suddenly part of something bigger than mm. their own experience. Mm. And, you know, people were up, we got up and danced. And the woman with sparkling eyes reached out her hands to me uh, and we were dancing together. And the woman was singing a few notes and her voice was growing a bit stronger and sounding as though she was forming words. And then when the music stopped, she sort of leant in to me and was holding my hand and she said a few words. It was as though she was saying, trying to say thank you mm. for, for the experience. And and the music therapist afterwards told me that it was the first time anyone had heard the woman speak in, in years. And, and that and that really was the moment I knew that I wanted mm. to train as a music therapist. Mm. Mm. As you, you said really well, actually, that once heard or seen, you, you, you don't forget. It's just such a powerful thing to witness, isn't it? And then you, mm. there's no denying the force of it all. Well, that's just brilliant, Grace. You and I could always, I mean, you know, I, I'm a great, great believer in the power of music for people with dementia as well as you and I know. And so, I, you know, I knew we could talk forever. Um, <laughs> but I'm just going to now, I think it would be really appropriate, actually, if we, we played out a little bit with, I thought, Paul Harvey actually playing his own composition that he did over 30 years ago which was the tweet that set it all off mm. uh, for Paul and Nick Harvey where's the sunshine and you can even hear someone washing up in the background actually it's wonderful at the time Nick said he didn't think that his dad would be able to remember it to play it so let's hear a little bit of that Grace Meadows is quietly passionate. I realised, talking to her, that music isn't just a huge part of her life. I think it probably is her life. As she said, early in her childhood, it became synonymous with me. There is a power about her too, though, a strong determination to ensure that those who most need it, who would most benefit from it, have access to music. For me, these two facets of grace are embodied in the image of this petite woman 
turning up in an orchestra rehearsal with her contrabassoon, a huge instrument with which she's able to make, in her words, enormous sounds. Grace Meadows has certainly had a big impact in the dementia world. I've rarely known one individual make such waves in the sector in so short a time. I was at the launch of Music for Dementia's campaign in 2018, just three short years ago, yet what a tremendous amount they've achieved, gaining national recognition and attracting high-level support and funding during, let's not forget it, a global pandemic. And of course, there's Paul and Nick Harvey. I loved talking to Grace. She's a life enhancer, just like last week's guest Wendy Mitchell is too. How lucky am I to know and talk to such people? You can find Music for Dementia at musicfordementia.org.uk. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.